Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Korean American Parenting. Hope you are doing well. Uh, we are now in the middle of April. And so whether you are uh, celebrating, I guess if that could be a word, uh, spring break with your children or recovering from, uh, we hope that you're doing okay. Uh, today, and as we continue our conversations in April, um, cater towards a little bit more of our older children, um, whether they be uh, in school or you know uh, working as early career uh, folks. Or this could apply if you have you know brothers, cousins, sisters, nieces, nephews in this era. Uh, we're really excited to have um, our, our guest today, Selena Lee, and uh, she is a career and executive coach uh, who has had a prior career in both the legal field and the finance field. And so now she uses all of her uh, experience and her insight to help young professionals find their way, turn it into a life that they want to live and define happiness. And so super excited. Um, and she, today she is joining us uh, from Korea. And so we're excited to have an international presence here on our show. And um, I will pass it over to Jang uh, to begin the conversation with Selena. Welcome, Selena. Um, I'm so excited because I'm a big fan of Selena. And I've been a big fan since ever since she started her podcast way before our podcast um, about three years ago. And um, it was probably one of the first podcasts that I actually ever uh, listened to. And so um, I'm. this is really great that I'm glad to have her on board. Just to um, introduce her, she, um, she is a Korean American um, and was an investment banker who turned to a corporate lawyer and then now a career and executive coach and a podcast host and a book author. Welcome, Celia. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So glad that you're here. For our podcast, we usually like to have you um, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us uh, tell us about uh, what you do and who you are. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to see you. I know that we've communicated um, over the years through emails. And thank you so much for listening to my podcast. And now you have your podcast. I'm so happy to be invited to uh, be as a guest. So um, I started my, as you, as you introduced me, I started my career as an investment banker and then I worked as a, and then I went to law school, worked as a corporate lawyer and I learned the hard way, uh, the importance of work, uh, the importance of doing work that's meaningful to me. Um, and after many career transitions, um, I am now a current executive coach and a podcast host, and I help people transition out of uh, jobs that they find to be unfulfilling into careers they love. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a big job. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, it's, but it's, it's a meaningful job, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it also sounds like you really enjoy your job now. 
Yeah, and it's it's um, interesting that um, before when I was actually in finance and law, um, I didn't have a lot of examples of people who actually really love what I, what they did. So it's almost like so many people accepted as faith that like jobs are supposed to jobs are something that you're supposed to hate. What do you mean you want to love your job? Like, you know, you hate your job and it's it's you know, it's awful. That's why you get paid for it. So I kind of saw this job as something that is not something that you're supposed to like. And that was not a good relationship uh, that you could have with with a job. Right. And then, um, and then now I'm, I love what I do so much. I'm like obsessed with it. Like every, every day, any, even when I'm not coaching or speaking or recording podcasts, like anything that I pay attention to, whether I'm reading a book or watching something or thinking of something, or, um, it's all to help me to become like a best, better coach and better podcast host to help people support, to support them, to be the best that they can be. That's all I think about. So I'm like really obsessed with what I do because I love it so much. So, you know, I, I think it's, I have proven to people it is actually really possible to love what you do and then get paid for it. So, yeah. That's a really good message. I think, especially in this pandemic era. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's not something that um, will easily come if you just like wait for it. But I think what I've learned over the years is that you have to be actively um, trying different things. I think what really helped in my journey is um, I think it, it kind of like I, it started when I was working as a, as a corporate lawyer and I have kind of arrived to this destination where I thought I wanted to be. And, and I'm sure like so many Korean Americans, we hear those um, messages like, you know, go to the best college you can and get the best job and you'll be happy and successful. So I kind of follow that formula and I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do to be successful and happy. Uh, so I found myself, you know, working at this very law, uh, you know, big law firm in New York City. Um, and it was getting a, you know, nice, pretty nice paycheck and living in a nice apartment. And then I just felt like I won the race, but I was in the wrong race. How come nobody told me that I should be thinking about what race I want to run before I start? Um, and then that's when I, um, for the first time gave myself the permission to just do the things that brings me joy and, um, try the things that I was curious about, even though it had nothing to do with my job. I think before that, I would only allow myself to do things if I thought, is this going to help me get into a better school or get a better job? Those were only things that I would spend time on. But now that I've done everything and, and it just felt like it didn't work, I followed the society's formula to success and it didn't work for me. So I just started to give myself permission to do the things that brings me joy, try different things. And then after many, many uh, you know experiments, explorations, um, I've written a book about people who pursue their dreams. I've started a community called Give One Dream to help people pursue their dreams um, and then started a podcast. And here I am. So um, it was a long journey. <laughs> but I think if you're not, uh, if you don't give up and if you, you know, continuously try to explore and take action towards things that really gives you meaning, um, you will find it. So, <laughs> yeah. As, as a guy with an MBA who's a former consultant who now makes podcasts and speaks for a living, I 100% agree with you. Um, and I think so many of us, we don't, we try to fix the formula because we've been told that the formula works. And we don't often think 
to challenge the formula that we're trying to solve for. So because I think for, for me, the formula was wrong, right? Like employment was wrong. Um, corporate employment was definitely wrong. And so I, I think, you know, having people like you sort of uh, not only preach, um, you know, there's a lot of people giving advice in, in this world now. And I think it actually is, um, you know, carries a little bit more weight and meaning for somebody who has gone down that path, right? Um, got degrees, actually did the things that you're supposed to do. And then to turn around and say, dude, none of that stuff made me happy. And, and so I, I think that's, you know, um, it's really awesome. And I'm glad you did it. And then I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing now, which is to help more people and encourage more people to, you know, think outside the box of what we were told, continue to be told. If you talk to college kids now, they're being said the same bull crap that we were when we were in school. And so how do we break the cycle? How do we, you know, as a community of parents now, make sure that, you know, uh, our kids don't fall into the same trap, uh, you know, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, for sure. I think um, so many of us live our lives um, kind of confused and and not really honest with ourselves that um, I think a lot of people don't understand there's sometimes a difference between what we want versus what other people want for us. And we internalize the opinions um, of other people about what kind of life we should have, what kind of jobs we should have, what's a good life, what's a successful life. And we internalize the stories that we hear without realizing um, if that's even relevant to our own experiences. So um, as, as you said, Jerry, like we have to see if other people's formula actually works for us. And if it doesn't, um, uh, we have to have the courage to create our own formula. You know, what is your own definition of success and what kind of life gives you meaning and, and, and joy? Um, and sometimes when that's not the path that your parents want or your friends want, um, you still have to have the courage to really honor your dreams and, and, and trust the journey and, and, and um, to make the decision that's really aligned with you. One thing that I, you know, I've been working as a coach for many years now, and I'm in a very um, unique and privileged position to be able to hear the stories of a lot of people that they wouldn't share with other people. Um, and what I've learned is that um, in order for you to be really happy in your career, um, what you do has to be aligned with who you are, right? There's ha there has to be a match between who you are and what you do. And that's the only way you're going to be happy. So how do you get there? Well, it takes a lot of reflections and, and learning about yourself and learning about your values and what you want. Um, and then to be able to separate that from, from what other people's opinions of, you know, is like the life that you should have. And that's something that I've seen. Um, most, I mean, a lot of people, uh, everybody struggles, struggles with it, but I think especially as an Asian American community or Korean American community, that's something that is even harder for us because of the cultural norms and, and expectations from family and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I totally uh, agree with what you're saying right now, because I think myself included, I think um, even the people that I meet in my private practice and in my clinical world, a lot of times we talk a lot about shoulds in yeah. our lives. Yeah. Um, there's so many shoulds in our lives. Mm -hmm. And um, I have um, patients who are very successful in their lives, but unhappy and they don't know why. And um, a lot of times when we peel these things off, even in our therapy, 
um, when you peel all the shoulds away, um, a lot of those patients don't know who they are or what they like um, yeah. or what they want to do because they have lived this life of responsibility all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is the cultural norm that you do sacrifice, you do what is expected of you. And that, but, but where's the core of who you are? I think that's really hard. And the fact that you were able to actually say, like, what do I want? Let me think about it and try on all these different things. That is so brave. Um, and also um, kind of rebellious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, how did you go about that? Yeah, well, I think when uh, when you walk on a path that is not proven um, to other people, it's it's a path that the majority doesn't walk or doesn't approve of. It can be a very lonely experience. Um, but I think um, what's really important is that like you only have your one life, right? <laughs> and I remember like, when I was working in investment banking, like I would pull all nighters and I'd be in the office all the time. And, and my sister and I was, you know, very like the work was fine, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard work. And I also felt like, um, working really hard to make really rich people richer was not really meaningful for me, but, (laughs) but my sister's like, you know, but everybody is, very envious of you and jealous of you you know so many people would love to have the job that you have but at the end of the day I'm the one who has to wake up every single day go to my office stare at the computer and you know whatever do whatever I was doing right so you have to really think about like you know like it doesn't matter what after a certain point like it doesn't really matter what other people think of you um, or how they perceive of you and where you are in your life it matters your experiences, how you're spending your time, right? Um, so I think when I um, finally, you know, was working at my law firm, and I think up until that point, like, I was honestly very distracted. So like, I had only short term goals, like in high school, you get to the, you know, like your goal is to get into the best college you can, and, and then you try to get the best job after and then, and then maybe go to, you know, for me, I went to law school and maybe people go get their masters or MBAs or, um, and then you try to get the best job. So I always had a few years of short-term goals that I, that distracted me from really learning about who I am and what I want. Right. Um, and so after when I got all those degrees and I was working at a, as a private equity lawyer at a big law firm in New York city, I pretty much had achieved what I had all always wanted right I had all these degrees and jobs but I just felt like oh my god I don't know what's next for me I didn't have the next short-term goal to distract me and then it was a very scary place Um, like where do I even start how do I even begin like I don't even know what industry I want to work in anymore which is really ironic because I'm done with school right and I had kind of like this um, moment where um, when I decided that I was in did not want to be a lawyer for the rest of my life. And um, not because it was the law that I didn't like. I think it was a type of law that I practiced. So if I was like maybe like a human rights lawyer or, you know, women's rights lawyer, maybe I wouldn't have made as much money, but I think I would have found it to be really fulfilling. But because I had an investment banking job before, it was easier to get a corporate law job. 
Um, and here I was, I was again, reviewing documents um, and helping very rich people even become richer. And that was not meaningful for me. Right. And I would look at my um, partners, my bosses who, um, who's been doing the same thing for like 30 some years. And I, I'm still actually good friends with them. And, but I, I didn't want that to be my life. So that's when I actually really thought about, you know, what I wanted to do. And um, I remember talking to my mom about like, um, if I were to grade my job, I would maybe give it like a B plus. And she's like, oh, that's really great. For most people, their jobs are failing <laughs> them. You know, <laughs> they're giving them an F, but that's really great. But I was like, well, but if I don't try, maybe there might be an A or A plus out there for me, but I'll never know it. So I just decided that I'm just going to do whatever it takes to to find it. Um, and this, that's when I like kind of gave myself the permission to just do different things. And I um, got an opportunity to host a talk show for a uh, Korean American broadcasting television in New York City. And even though I had no experience in interviewing people or journalism or anything like that, but because I was in that period of my life where I was just opening myself up to different opportunities, I said yes. And then through that, I think I just got so many, I got to meet so many people who actually love what they did. And I was like, oh my God, like that's that's really wonderful that they do that. And I learned for the first time, it's actually possible to really love what you do. I've seen examples. So I think what helped was to getting out of um, that circle of people who are all the same thing, you know, doing the same thing for me, same thing as I did, all lawyers and finance people. And because then if you want your life to change, you have to either... Uh, think differently, or uh, you have to do th do different things, or meet different people, right? And I think when I left that um, kind of community, I mean, of course, there was still a lot of people around me who were lawyers, but I made deliberate attempt to get out of that circle and meet different people from different industries. And that's, I feel like when my life was expanded. Um, and wow, like people actually there's so many people who do so many different things. And I started to believe in the possibility that maybe one day I will, I will find that for me. Um, so I just, I just kept trying. And, and um, I also had kind of like a, an experience where like when I was no longer affiliated with those um, big firm names. Right. And you know, when we go to like networking receptions or parties or whatever, and then you meet people and they're like, Oh, what, what's your name? And what do you do? And before I used to be able to say, Oh, I'm Selena Lee from Brooks and Gray or Merrill Lynch. And then no more questions asked because everybody knows like what that is, right? I didn't have to explain myself. But yet, when I was no longer, um, you know, part of those organizations, um, I, I saw myself hesitate, like, Oh, I'm Selena. And I, I didn't know how to like explain myself, right? And that was a really scary moment for me, because I felt like, oh my God, am I a person who's only going to feel good about myself if I'm doing something that other people think is good, right? Then that's not a, that's not, that's a very scary place to be because then nothing is really, um, you know, forever, right? So if I'm going to uh, like equate my sense of self-worth with external achievements, right? Um, then then that's not a, that's not a, going to be a very happy life. So that's when I decided I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to figure out my own path. And 
um, I decided that I'm not going to let other people's opinions dictate my path. And I'm just going to create my own path and <laughs> be the captain of my ship. <laughs> and I know it's cheesy, but that's kind of like how I thought about my life. So yeah, it was a, it was a very long transition. It's, it was not an overnight thing. And, and, and I think with any big change, you know, it takes time. So, and persistence. So, yeah. Um, us, us being a parenting show, tell, tell us about some of the influences, obviously the way that you're describing sort of your, uh, the way that you were um, predisposition to think about success, um, you know, parental influence and society influence plays a lot of role in that. Um, what were some of those influences? And then now, you know, as it being a parenting show, like how would you advise parents to parent differently or with a different, you know, outlook on life? Because, um, you know, uh, parents are still parenting this way, right? If you talk to college students now, they're very in this, you know, brand, logo, job title driven success model. And like we've proven for decades that it actually doesn't work. So, you know, what kind of advice do you have for parents um, of older kids to sort of, you know, break that cycle? Yeah. So um, I very much grew up in the typical Korean American community, right? And not that my parents actually pressure me to choose any particular profession. Uh, but I am sure I was very influenced by what other people thought was a good job, right? So um, um, it wasn't the only reason why I went to law school. But looking back, I'm sure, uh, you know, that actually did influence my decision in terms of choosing my path. Um, and I remember... Um, my when I was so Jane, you you I think you've written uh, you've read my book, and um, so my book was published in Korea um, actually now many years ago called um, Dirimida, and it was an interview book about people who overcame rejections and failures to achieve their their dreams. And I wanted to write the book not to become like a famous author or anything, but it was just my childhood dream just to have one book with my, with my name on it. And I, because I was kind of struggling to figure out my path at the time, and I wanted to see um, how other people who seem to have really figured out and have done so well in their careers and their life and were living a very meaningful, fulfilling life, like, how did they get there? And so that was kind of like the idea that I have for my book. And I was so excited about it. But my mom thought it was the worst idea ever. <laughs> she wasn't the only one, but so many people around me were very discouraging. My mom in particular and she she would say things like, "Who do you think you are to you know uh, write a book?" Um, and she had a good points because I actually wrote and published it in Korea. I was born in California and I lived in Korea. We moved to Korea when I was little, and I finished first to sixth grade elementary school and came back to Southern California in seventh grade. So my education in Korean stopped at sixth grade. So of course, my mom's like, "What do you mean you're gonna writ, you know write a book in Korean like?" Even people who get their PhDs in, in Korea, they don't all write books. Like, you can't do that. And um, first of all, you can't, you know, you can't do that. And no one's going to read it. No one's going to publish it. She was very discouraging. So I remember um, feeling really hurt and getting into a lot of arguments. And, and I was like, even if everybody laughs at my dream, you're my mom and you should be supportive. And um, she was she's like, I just don't think you can do it. So but I had a very supportive sister and she said, you're going to do it. You're going to prove mom wrong. And, and, and long story short, I, I did. And it got published by one of the best publishers in the, in the country. And I just learned that when you actually really believe in your dream and 
pour your heart and soul into it and do whatever it takes to make it happen, magical things happen and stars align and, and, and you will make your dream a reality. And after my book got published, like my life really changed. I became this person who was <clears throat> invited to speak at a lot of different organizations. And I was doing a lot of press interviews and my mom started to brag to her friends. And she's like, oh, look at my daughter who like, you know, wrote this book. And, you know, she was, uh, and I was like, you don't even have any bragging rights. Like uh, you are not supportive of my dream. And, and then one day I just got very curious and I asked her like, why were you so against it? And for the first time in, in my life, she apologized to me. She's not a mom who will apologize. And I mean, she's a very loving mom and sacrificing mom. She has done a lot. Um, so it's, it was very unusual in that she was so, so against this idea. Um, she's generally, you know, a very supportive in other things that I've done, but this, like she thought it was the worst idea ever. So I was curious, like wh why were so against it? And she said, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I really didn't think you could do it. So I was trying to protect you from getting hurt. And I was like, wow, I am so glad I didn't listen to my mom because if I did, you and I, we would not be talking right now because it was that decision that I was going to do no matter what that led that decision, that step, you know, one thing after another led to me becoming a coach and, and uh, becoming a podcast and speaker and, and do what I do now. If I had quit on that dream, I think I would still be a very unhappy lawyer reviewing documents somewhere, right? So I think from that experience, I learned that um, parents actually don't want the best for us. Uh, parents actually don't know what's best for us. Um, they don't know what we're capable of. And we don't even know what we're capable of until we really try, right? But I think parents are also product of their generation. So if they um, they grew up in a in a time where you know stability and security and putting food on the table like that was more important than pursuing your dreams or living your life on your own terms, having the courage to to you know pursue your goals and dreams, that's not important to them. So from their perspective, it, if they think that the road you're about to embark on has a high rate of failure, high chance of failure they will do whatever it takes to stop you. And so that's when I learned, wow, like I'm so glad I didn't, do it. I didn't listen to my mom. So um, I guess my advice to <laughs> the parents listening is, um, uh, you know, don't kill your children's dreams. And years later, I was in um, Tribeca Film Festival. And um, this is a, 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 a film festival in New York City. And Spike Lee, who's a very famous um, filmmaker, um, said that parents kill more dreams than anybody else. And I was like, oh my God, that's my mom. You know, it's apparently it's not just the Asian American and Korean American community. Parents actually kill more dreams than anybody else. So um, I think that um, I hope the parents who are listening will understand that um, you, your idea of what your parent, what your kids might be capable of is that actually may not be true, may not be accurate. So we have to really give people, give our children a chance to really take a chance on themselves and, 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 and to really have a chance to pursue their dreams. And then to not, I hope the parents will not confuse that the advice that they're giving to the children is really for them. I think so many parents give their parent, their children advice, like, Oh, you don't write a book, you know, like, don't go into creative professions, you'll be starving or, 
you know, take a stable job and, um, you know, become a doctor or lawyer. I think a lot of parents think that they're giving those types of advice to their children uh, for the children, but actually it is for them, for the parents themselves. So they feel better about like, I can sleep at night knowing that my kids are going to have a normal job and be able to provide for themselves. So not confuse what you want uh, versus what you want for them. And, and so I think a lot of people actually don't know those differences. So yeah, the, that's what I, I have a lot of thoughts about this topic, but that's what comes to my mind. Yeah, for now. So well, I'm, I'm in awe, because um, I think the way that you talked about this is very direct. Um, Sometimes I think that, but as a therapist, I don't talk about that like that. Sure. But I do, I do think that um, it is true that sometimes, um, you know, it's very apparent that parents do, and of course, Korean American parents, Korean parents, they really love their children so yeah. much. But at the same time, sometimes they don't know how to love the right way. Yeah. Or, or they may not know what is the right thing for your child and you know the path that might not be the the path that your child takes might not be the best path Mm -hmm. but it is the the journey that 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 child takes through that path is what she's going to learn right in order to get to the right point yeah um so I think I think I think it's like that holding that anxiety as a parent that your child might fail yeah and um, and that it, it's going to be okay that, 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 that she fails. And I think part of it, Ed, is I'm going to be here when you, fa- when, or if you fail, I'm going to be there to catch you. Um, yeah. Very, very true. Yeah. And I think, um, of course it, it's parents do it, do it out of love, you know, they, mm-hmm. but I think they love in the way that they know how, and it may not be the way that the children <laughs> needs to be loved, and, and there's a difference. And, um, and I, I think for parents, of course, we, we, it's understandable that because from their generation, you know, it was better to get a stable job and put food on the table than to risk your life to pursue your dreams. Of course, it makes sense for them, right? But I think what happens, because, you know, when I, when I coach a lot of clients, sometimes like they, they have chosen a path because their parents wanted them. And then even though they've made it and are not successful in the societal uh, definition of success, but they're very unhappy and unfulfilled and they blame their parents for mm-hmm. ruining their lives and, and forcing them into a profession that they didn't want. So uh, you don't want to be in a position where children are blaming you for the decisions that they made. So if, if we empower our children to really be responsible for their own decisions, regardless whether that thing works out or not, it's going to be their, the children's responsibility and they will have learned from their experiences. So I think we have to really trust uh, our children and, and give them uh, you know, the freedom to really experiment, explore in their own lives. Another thing that I um, would encourage parents to do is to um, encourage the children to ask for help, to teach them that it's a, it's a good thing. Um, and one thing that I was very surprised um, when I became a coach is that um, even though I've written a book in, 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 in Korean and got it published in Korea, I, I have a, um, 
Um, I do a lot of speaking engagements within the Korean American and Asian American community that I have been doing for years and years. Uh, but still to this day, the vast majority of my clients are white, white people, Caucasians. And this was very shocking to me. <laughs> I, I now have a few more Asian Amer American clients, but still mostly white. And I think what happens is that um, even though we are born and raised in the U.S. as Asian Americans, we still very much live a very sheltered life in terms of how our Asian, Asian parents parented us, right? The values, um, how we kind of navigate our own world and, and show up in our world is very much influenced by our parents, right? So um, Asian people, I think, are ashamed of getting help. Um, especially things like therapy or maybe even coaching. Um, and so they think that somehow they, they need to figure it out themselves. And I think our parents have kind of ingrained in our, in our brain, like, you know, go to the best college you can. And they invest a lot of money in like SATs and tutoring and, you know, you get into a, like an Ivy League or Ivy League level college. And like, you think that, that your life is set, right? <laughs> uh, uh, and then after that, you don't really know how to invest in yourself or keep learning anymore. But that's when the competition just starts, right? I was going to say, that's when, that's when life actually starts when it's, you get out of school. Totally. That's when it starts. But I think for Asian Americans or Asian American parents, we think that as soon as you get into the best college you can, like it's over. Um, so what I've seen is that a lot of Asian um, um, kids, you know, when they are, you know, navigating through their career path or have some struggles, they um, feel very lost, but they are somehow ashamed of like asking for help. I should be able to figure this out myself. My parents will be so you know ashamed of me if I don't do it. But whereas I have so many um, white clients who come to me and say, I actually had one this one client who's in her 20s say, Selena, I'd rather hire you as my coach and invest in my future than buy a Prada bag. And I was like, oh my God, I was the girl who bought the Prada bag because I didn't know how to invest in my future, right? And, and it could be, you know, coaching or therapy or, you know, self-improvement or leadership class or, you know, mastermind or whatever it is. But um, people who start to invest in themselves and keep learning about themselves and build relationships and network and all of that. And 20, 30 years later, who do you think will be at the top? Uh, of course, I think that, you know, there's a lot of racism, of course, as we've experienced in the past, you know, many months. But I don't think that is the only thing that explains why a lot of Asian Americans go to the top schools, but 20, 30 years later, we're not at the C-suite or partners and, and managing directors I think, and things like that. I think yeah. part of that is about um, um, reluctance to focus on yourself. Yeah. Um, we're such a collective community that we have to be, we is such a big thing. So yeah. when, you, when you put that kind of time and finance and, you know, uh, personal endeavors in investing in yourself and your soft skills that may or may not come is such a luxury. It feels like a luxury. Yeah. Right? Um, but in a way, that is the best investment you could have for yourself and your family. Very, very true. Yeah. And that's why over the years, I've um, kind of started to notice the patterns of people who succeed and who don't. And then I designed my coaching framework called LOVE. And um, it's an acronym. And L stands for learn about yourself, which is what you just mentioned about learning about yourself. Who are you? And 
every day I have my clients do these journaling exercises of like, you know, what kind of emotions did you feel? And what did that tell you about what's important to you, right? So you're learning about yourself constantly. And then always overcome internal obstacles, like um, being able to overcome the fear of rejections or failures and uh, be able to peacefully coexist with your inner negative voice, which we all have. And then to be able to visualize your success, uh, be able to paint a, a image of the life that you want to achieve, and then E is um, explore your curiosities and take action. So um, if you just do this thing every day, so every day you're kind of like learning about yourself, overcoming your internal obstacles, and then you're taking action, and then you reflect, then you pause, and you uh, and then you set a better intention for tomorrow. I think that's how slowly. Uh, we we change, but over time, it could be a big transformation. And I think that's something that we don't learn in school or in families, especially in, in Korean American families, um, because that's not just something that our parents did not grow up with. Their parents never taught them. So um, I wish that it's something that is taught in every school or in families. But uh, so if not, then we have to do the work ourselves. Like we have to keep learning about ourselves, what's important to us. And to be able to separate what we want versus what other people want for us. It's a hard work, but it's very important work. Because I think that if you are in, if you are empowered yourself and um, you actually are able to make decisions, that makes you happy. Everybody else around you will be happy too. Like, you know, you can't be, have a good relationship with people around you unless you have a good relationship with yourself. Well, same goes for the um, being parent, right? Yeah. So if you are empowered, if you like what you do, if you like who you are, yeah, then that's going to reflect on your children. Yeah. And that's going to be the role model that your children will look up to and become. And so I think this is actually a really good talk for parents um, because I think, I mean, how to raise our children, but also just I'm a big believer in, well, Jerry, sorry, but happy mom, happy children. So happy dad and happy children too. <laughs> but um, I, I think that what you have talked about today is so relevant to all of us, um, you know, truly finding who we are and what we want. Um, and, and this is going to be a key point for not just our, uh, our children, but for ourselves and for our whole family. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it, I think um, it's something that, um, maybe a little bit harder for the Asian American and Korean American community just because we have those cultural barriers and obstacles. But it is something that we can teach ourselves and also teach our children. So I hope we can um, keep doing the work. And um, one thing that I, I've been asked so many times about like, okay, so what makes for a fulfilling career? And it came down to um, for people who are needing a little bit like of help with that. Um, um, I found that it, there are three things. Uh, if you find an intersection of those three things, um, you're going to have a very fulfilling life. And that was, um, and that is find what you like to do and then what you're good at. And then finally, what you find to be meaningful. And I've written about it in, 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 in detail. If you want to check it out on my website, it's on Selena, Selena Lee, C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E, C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E. Um, and I've written about, that's kind of like what I saw is like a common themes of people who really were incredibly successful in what they did and also had a very fulfilling life. And that came to that, that turned out to be the three um, commonalities. And since I've kind of figured out the, those theme, I've, every time I've been presented with a career opportunity, I would carefully assess if it met those three things. 
And if not, I, I always decline because I think in our life, um, what, what we choose to not do is as important as the things that we choose to do because our time is limited. So um, it's really important where you're, how you're spending your time and where you're, you know, what you're paying attention to because that's going to determine your experience in this life and also determine your future. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've had a lot of experience with, with your own twists and turns in your life. You, you coach a lot of young people. We're getting close to graduation season. Um, yes. As we wrap the show, <laughs> yeah, um, you you are giving the graduation speech at whatever school, <laughs> Zoom Zoom High School. Um, what what is your one word of advice um, as we wrap here today, Selena, that you want to give to um, college students as they're about to enter the workforce? Yeah, I think um, I would um, I would love for people to remember to always give themselves a permission to do the things that brings them joy and happiness, even if it has nothing to do with your job or career path. Um, I think so many of us live our life thinking that, um, you know, I need to succeed and make a lot of money or have this job and that job that we limit ourselves in how we experience life. Um, so some people are like, Oh, but you know, maybe I want to, I'm interested in, this thing, but it's not really relevant to my career in law or finance. So they wouldn't allow themselves to just try different things. But I think what really makes for a fulfilling career and meaningful career is that um, you, like you really have to try different things. It's kind of like if you've never gone on a date and you don't, then you don't really know like what kind of partner is compatible with you. You just have to, it's very different just thinking about it than actually doing it. Same thing with careers too. Like you just have to try different things. And um, maybe there are, you know, certain, you have some ideas of uh, what you might want to pursue, but there's so many different opportunities in life and there's serendipity, there's chances, people you'll meet. So don't be too fixated on, um, on a certain idea. Um, like, but be open to a lot of different life's opportunity. Give yourself permission to just explore your curiosities. I don't like the advice of follow your passion. I think that's actually a really terrible advice. Like there's really no, like passionate will not just scream at your ears and say, this is what you're supposed to do with, with your life. It just doesn't happen for most people. And I think it's um, paying attention to your curiosity. It's like a little whisper in your, in your ears, like, oh, this might be interesting. Oh, this sounds pretty cool. So pay attention to that. Um, take them seriously and give yourself the permission to explore your curiosities and, and try them and trust the journey. And, and finally, most importantly, I think, um, don't be afraid of rejections. Um, I think so many people um, are so afraid of getting their feelings hurt that they wouldn't even try for an opportunity or apply or reach out. Um, but if you actually think about it, the reason why you're getting rejected is because you're trying to do something with your life, right? If you're applying for a job, you never get rejected. I learned this when I was writing my book because it was an interview book. I got more rejected than I'd ever been until that point in my life. So in the beginning, I like took it really personally. But one day I was like, you know what? The reason why I'm getting rejected is because I'm trying to achieve my dream, my childhood dream of writing a book. And if I wasn't trying to do that, there would be no reason why these people are rejecting me. And when, when, once I was able to reframe the rejections as the evidence and the proof that I'm actually doing something with my life and, and taking the steps and the actions to um, achieve my dreams, then it became very liberating. So I have my clients do these rejection challenges where every day, their, their homework, their assignment is to just get rejected. And over time, you're going to build a rejection muscle. In the beginning, uh, maybe you'll 
you know, try at getting rejected in the small little things. But over time, um, it's kind of like running a marathon. If you've never run a marathon, like you can't just run a marathon next week, but you can start training, you know, one mile a day or two miles a day. And then over time, you'll be able to run a marathon. Rejection muscle is the same thing. Over time, you just get so used to um, not letting the fear of no affect how you feel about yourself and let that those decisions, uh, like let those um, fear of getting your emotions hurt prevent you from just taking action. If you're able to overcome that, you're going to do very, very well in your life because most people haven't figured this out. And then, and also you're just going to have more opportunities. I've learned in my life that the number of rejections I get is actually correlated to the number of opportunities that I get and also success that I'll achieve. So I hope that's something <laughs> that I, I can share with the students who are just graduating this year. Hey, Selena, we want to thank you for joining us today and sharing us your wisdom and thoughts uh, as it relates to career coaching for those of you that are graduating or those of you with children who are graduating for early in their career. Uh, we hope that this information has been helpful and insightful as you begin to navigate your own careers. And so uh, big thanks again. And uh, we look forward to keeping in touch and to following you on your journey as you help uh, the young people and professionals uh, help shape the best careers of their lives. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is this was so much fun.